Good afternoon. Y'all are going to have to bear with me today. I just caught the worst case of like dry mouth ever. It's my worst nightmare come true right now in this moment. So if I start to stick my lips and my, my tongue to the, my roof of my mouth, you guys can laugh at me. Again, the rule is 10 seconds. Anything longer than that's just rude. Um, man, what a good last month. Uh, of the year we had last year for 2023 in December, just getting filled with some things to look forward to for the new year, right? I think Brother Lewis and, and Caleb, they did a good job of setting us up with things that we could be looking to for this new year that are obtainable and that are um, glorifying to God and that would be edifying to us as individuals in our walk with the Lord and as we do those things would be edifying to the body. And so just by way of reminder, Brother Lewis, the whole month of December and even up until this morning, he went through some some pieces of Psalm 119 and we, we see three things over the last month that we've been told to do. The first one was just be intentional with our time in the Word, and that came out of Psalm 119. You can go back and listen to all those messages that Brother Lewis prepared for us out of that psalm, and we can see the value of God's Word and that it is good for more than just giving us information, right? Like, it'd be really easy to say that this is a really cool textbook, right? And we can learn so much for our brain, and we can we can know so much. But it's more than knowing. It's knowing, it's doing, it's living, it's seeking. And then the second thing, which kind of ties into that in that sentence is, he, he, he was, uh, Brother Lewis exhorted us to meditate on the Word, right? And meditating on the Word, it's it's more than just reading it and then putting a check in the box. It's reading it and reading it and reading it and thinking on it, and praying through it, and chewing on it, and dissecting it, and considering it, and beholding it, and all those words that he used. And then the last thing that we heard was that Caleb last week from Romans 2 gave us a really good thing to do for the new year too, and that was to do self-examination so that we don't become moralists and and hypocrites, right? That we examine ourselves, and we make sure that we're doing the right things for the right reasons with the right heart. And so one of the things that you hear me and Lewis talk about a lot in the pulpit is the four B's. We talk about being in the Word, being in prayer, being in church, and being in accountability. Well, I would like to today challenge us one more thing to add to the list of things that we could be looking forward to this year and something that we can, I think, very uh, do that is very obtainable for us and that God wants us to do. He commands us to do it, and we'll see that. And so I would like today to add... A fifth B. And so that's going to be the title of my sermon today. A fifth B. And the fifth B is be sharing the gospel. We have a responsibility to share the gospel to those who are lost. We have a responsibility to be light in a dark world um, and, and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. If you think we don't live in a dark world, then... I don't know, raise your hand so we can talk afterwards because I'd like to hear your take on that because things are pretty bleak at times as far as outside of what we know to be true here inside the church and what we read in Scripture. And so when I say share the gospel, I want you to understand something first and up front. We know in Scripture that Scripture teaches us God's sovereignty. We all would stand up and testify gladly of God's sovereignty, meaning that God is in full control of everything. Okay, but what God's sovereignty does not do, it does not negate us being obedient to his commands. 
And we see all throughout Scripture that we are commanded to share the gospel. We are commanded to proclaim His excellence. We are commanded to share Jesus with others, to teach Jesus to others. And so when we do that, we're being obedient. When we don't do that, we are not being obedient. So what I'm not saying is we can go and somehow persuade uh, and manipulate people and that we ourselves can cause salvation to happen or conversion to happen because that is a fallacy straight from the pit of hell. God is in control of all aspects of salvation. Our responsibility in that is to be obedient, to share the means of salvation. Who is salvation through? What does, why do we even need salvation? That's part of the gospel, right? The gospel means the good news. Well, if there's good news, then there has to be what? Bad news, right? And the bad news, we all know what the bad news is. We could all stand up and testify about that as well. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Acts 17, 1 through 9. And what's going on here is Paul and Silas are on one of the missionary journeys. Um, and I forgot which one. I'm sorry, I had it in my head and uh, I forgot. Um, but they're on their missionary journey and uh, one of the missionary journeys and they're sharing the gospel with people. They've been doing it. Paul has been doing it since his conversion on Damascus Road. And he has been taking and sharing the gospel and establishing God's church all throughout the land at this time. So right now they're entering into Thess- Thessalonica, Acts 17, 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where a synagogue of where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are coming hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So wonderful passage. I love this passage. Verse six is one of my, um, it's one of my verses. I just like to read it sometimes and just read it in that language. Some of the translations, the different translations have, have changed the, the phrasing of it, but I just love these that have turned the world upside down. I mean, that is awesome. It, that, it just makes me, it makes me want to go turn the world upside down, uh, for this cause, but I'm jumping ahead. I'll get to that verse here in a little bit. So I want to, I want to, um, point out five things that we see in this passage. Five things. And the first one is in verses one through three, we see that the gospel is boldly proclaimed. 
<clears throat> and we see this. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where a synagogue of Jews was. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that is Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So, Number one, in this little section that the gospel was boldly proclaimed, we see that Paul was intentional in preaching the gospel. He went exactly where he needed to go because the people were going to be there. And he went to the synagogue where the Jews would meet. And he started, and it says that it was it was his manner. He went in there and he started to reason with them. And when when it says reason with them, think about this word reason and why do we say the thing? Why do we talk the way we talk? and stuff like that. The Greek word for reasoning is dialegomai. I know that sounds crazy, right? Take off the omai, uh, or uh, dialegomai. Take off the omai. That's an ending that just denotes in what tense it's being used. It's dialogue, right? What, what, what word is that? That's dialogue. That's where, that's where we're talking with somebody, communicating with somebody. And in this sense, and in this tense, Paul is dialoguing with them by way of exhortation, and he's telling them, hey, Jesus is the Christ. You killed this guy. He was risen from the dead. He suffered these things to bring about salvation because that's what the people would have understood when he said he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the chosen one from God to come and make it right. And not just in the terms that a lot of them wanted him to, right? Where it was like, rescue us from Rome and you'll be the king. We want you to sit on a throne and we want this, this government system. No, that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to save souls. He came to save sinners and give them salvation. And that's what Paul is telling them. And he's doing it in a way where he's really... It, it, it almost makes me feel like using the word pleading is the right word, but it's not because he's not begging people to come to Christ, right? We don't, that's not how, that's not how you share the gospel. He's laying the gospel out in a way that says, this is life or death. You're either in Christ or you're not. And then in, in verse three, we see, he says, <clears throat> um, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So the second thing we see is that Paul knew who the gospel was centered on. He didn't center the gospel on himself. Paul didn't stand up there and say, guys, when I was on the road to Damascus, this great light came down upon me because I'm so super special. You know, like some people do. Every single one of us in this room that's a believer, we have a hero. We all have the same hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. We couldn't have saved ourselves, and we didn't get saved because we were special, because I was a better sinner than so-and-so, or so-and-so was a better sinner than I was. No, we got saved because Christ died for our sins, because God chose us before eternity to give us His grace and His mercy. We had nothing to do with it. And so Paul is just preaching Christ, and that is it. That's what the gospel is centered on. So we see that the, the gospel was boldly proclaimed in verses 1 through 3. In verse 4, the second thing that we see in this passage is that the message beneficially persuaded some people. Well, who did it, who did it persuade? And in verse 4 it says, And some of them believed and consorted, or that word consorted just means that they joined up with Paul. They became believers and they, they joined in the cause with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. 
So the, dev- the devout Greeks, a great multitude. A lot of the devout Greeks became believers. They heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit moved on them, changed their heart of stone to heart of flesh. They realized their need for a Savior, and they they joined up with Paul, and they joined what, what in Acts we would see that the, the, the people would call them uh, the way. That's what they called Christians, the way. And it, and, it, and it signified that they were in the way of God, that they were acting in the way of God. And so these people, uh, the devout Greeks and the chief women, and, not, and it says too, not a few. So Paul is proclaiming the gospel and many people are believing and coming to Christ, which is amazing. And so the gospel message had its effect on people through the Holy Spirit. The gospel was proclaimed. Holy Spirit did His work, and people were saved and believed, and faith was given. Turn to Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Start in verse 13 and read through 17. Romans 10, 13 to 17. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Uh, For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we see in that, I I, I mentioned that because gospel had its effect, because somebody was faithful to go out and preach the gospel. And so these people heard something that they hadn't heard before, and it had its result. It had the result that the Lord wanted it to have. And notice that Paul preached a gospel that he got straight out of scripture. He didn't, he didn't proclaim to them, Hey, Jesus is this guy who died on a cross, but I'm the Christ. No, the message is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus died for sins. Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus is the way to salvation. And so it came straight from scripture and they heard it and it had its desired effect so that we see that the message was beneficially that it beneficially persuaded people. And then we see in verse 5 the opposite of that. The message belligerently persuaded people. And I say belligerent because that word means it means that it inclined it inclined them to exhibit assertiveness, hostility or combativeness in a way that shows a wish to fight or argue. Well, how do we know that? Well, look what verse 5 says. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. Right? So what does moved with envy mean? It means that they were, when I looked that up to to, to see what it meant, to try to get a better understanding of that, because none of us talk like that. Look, I'm about to move on. I'm about to move with envy towards you. Right? That's not how we say that, you know. We might say something along the effects, if you were a military guy like I was, I would say, I'm about to move intentionally to you right now. <laughs> like, I'm about to be intent in my movements. Um, but that's what it, that's the picture that it's painting. It's saying that these guys were heated and they were boiled over with hatred and anger. That's how they're moving towards these believers, okay? So that's, that's part one of this, that, it, that the message was belligerently persuading people. So they moved with them towards enemy. And then it says, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company. 
So basically what it's saying there is these people who were angry at the believers, they went and they, gra- they grabbed up a mob of people who were also angry and who were also of, you know, it says baser, sort, and lewd. These aren't good people. It would be like going, if we lived in Los Angeles, it would be like going down and grabbing up a bunch of gangbangers and pulling them and saying, hey guys, come and fight for my cause. And we'll go, we'll go make things happen. And you just bring a bunch of gangbangers into wherever and, and it just, we just go, we just go ballistic. Cause that's what they're getting ready to do. They're getting ready to move on with it, move on these people, these believers with intent because they don't like the message. <clears throat> and then it says that, and they set all the city on an uproar. And that uproar means that they were making noise and being turbulent. They were disturbing the peace. They were causing confusion amongst the people. The people who were believing and the people who weren't believing were just thrown into confusion because now all of a sudden it's just all this violence now. That's what's happening. There's a mob, an angry, violent mob moving through the town and they're going to the house of Jason and this is what it says. And they assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. I don't know what you guys think about when you think about assaulting a house, but I know what I think about. I think about being in Afghanistan or Iraq and going house to house and clearing it for enemies. And I can tell you that we didn't do that nicely. Hey, Taliban, can you guys come out? We want to go in and see what's in there. Thanks. No, I couldn't even imitate what it looks like and sounds like because I don't want to get taken out of the pulpit for the rest of my life. It's violent, and it was aggressive, and it was breaking and entering in a legal sense of that term, just making our way in by any means necessary, usually by explosion, like with explosives and gunfire, moving people with intent out of our way, usually to their faces, ransacking their place, looking for intelligence or weapons or anything of the sort, and then leaving it destroyed and broken when we left. That's what these, that's what I see when I see these people going, this angry mob going to these, to this house of Jason, looking for Paul and Silas and just breaking into that house and ripping it apart, looking for those two. And then they end up coming out with Jason. So the next thing we see, the next point, the fourth point here is the believers blamelessly provoked others with the gospel. And I say blamelessly because guess what? They did it the right way. They were out there proclaiming the gospel and preaching the message, and they had nothing to be ashamed of. And they provoked these people with that message. Some people believed. Some people did not believe. Some people wanted to chase them down and kill them. So what happens in verse 6, in verse 7? It's my favorite part part of the passage. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are coming hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Well, that's a problem for the 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 Thessalonians because they who's their king? Their king is Caesar. Well, if if somebody else is claiming that Jesus is the king, now what's going to happen? They don't want Rome to come in and and try to fix the situation for them because that's not going to be good. 
That's going to be Rome coming in and flexing their muscles on them, making things really miserable for them because they decided to, to worship and to, to give homage to somebody else who wasn't recognized as their king. But these believers stood on the fact that Jesus was their king. And how did they even know that Jesus was their king? Because Paul was obedient and he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with these people. And they were converted turning the world upside down. So the unbelievers see this as harmlessly provoking people to believe heresies, mainly that Christ was the king. So the unbelievers were saying, hey, they're turning the world upside down because they're out there putting out heresy and they're teaching that somebody else is the king. That's not good. We don't like that. The believers saw it as them being different than the world. They had a changed heart. They had a changed understanding of of how bad off they had it. And now the good news of the gospel and what Christ can take and make out of that mess. And they were causing people to look at things differently. They were causing people to know and, and understand that they need a Savior. When I say they were causing them to do that, I'm saying they're proclaiming the gospel and the Holy Spirit's doing the work. But they're being obedient and sharing the gospel. So they're turning the world upside down. And the last thing that we see is that the believers were blatantly persecuted. There's three things to see here from verse 8 and 9. And verse 8 and 9 say, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So number one of the three things to see about them being blatantly persecuted is the unbelievers were troubled. That means that they were scared of the consequences of what it would look like if if Rome found out that they didn't find Paul and Silas, these two people who were originally turning the world upside down, and what would find what would happen when they found out that there was an uprising because now there's two kings that people are are paying homage to. There's Caesar and then there's this Jesus. So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see is that the rulers and magistrates, the leaders, they had, that they had taken security of Jason. That means that, uh, in verse, um, in verse nine, it says when they had taken security of Jason, it means that when they had, they had him in captivity. And so taking security is another way of saying they made him pay bail. They made him pay bond to get out. So they took his money. They arrest him for proclaiming Jesus. And then they make him give him money. And then after they give them the money, they let him go. That's the third thing that we see. Why'd they let him go? Well, because they got money out of it. That's really, that's really what they care about. They don't even care who, who, which king people pay homage to. They care about themselves and their selfish desires. And that's why their hearts weren't changed. Their hearts weren't changed because God didn't show them mercy because that's, that's not how the plan was going to work out. And so they persecuted these people who were believers and they persecuted them for, again, we talked about this earlier. They, they persecuted them because they were part of the way. They were part of Christ. They were in Christ. They were proclaiming Christ. They were believing in Christ. They were worshiping Christ. They were praising Christ. So what do we do with this passage? How do we, how do we apply this to our lives? You take this passage of Paul and Silas boldly pro- pro- uh, proclaiming the gospel. We see, um, we see that 
that this message, it beneficially persuaded individuals to believe the Holy Spirit did His job and the Word of God was uh, did not return void. And then we see people belligerently persuaded to attack the Christians. We see Christians blamelessly provoking people and bringing them to having to think through things and still being persecuted for it. So what do we do with it? Well, I'm going to talk about some applications, but I first want to, I want to illustrate this. When I was a Marine, every Friday we would have a liberty brief. It's the worst part of my week, hands down. It was at least a two hour ordeal, and this is why. You would get a liberty brief from your squad leader, and then you would get a liberty brief from your platoon sergeant, and then you would get a liberty brief from your platoon commander and from your company commander. So you're getting four, five, six liberty briefs on a Friday or before any long weekend, like on a Thursday night uh, before you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off for a holiday. And what is a liberty brief, you ask? I'm glad. It's uh, when you go out into town this week, this weekend, you better not do the following a, B, C, D. Don't drink and drive. Don't do drugs. Don't deal death is what we used to call it because they all started with D's. Drinking and driving, doing drugs, dealing death and domestic violence. Those were the big ticket items that we all got told not to do while we were on liberty on the weekend. And why did they tell us not to do those things among others too? Well, because those things were not what the Marine Corps taught us. They weren't how we were supposed to act. They were not how we were to carry ourselves because... Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this or not, but Marines stick out like sore thumbs. We all have the same stupid haircut, and we all look and walk and talk the same way. And in a place where it's mostly Marines, the civilians knew we were Marines. And so the Marine Corps was trying to tell us, when you go out, act accordingly. That way people don't have a bad view of the Marine Corps, because we're supposed to be ambassadors for for America everywhere we go, even within our own country. That's what we got told. And so one thing that as I, as I became a leader and I started giving these briefs to my Marines, I had heard this before. I didn't make it up. I don't know where it originated. But I used to tell my Marines, if somebody accused you of being a Marine, would there be enough evidence to convict you in the good way? Not that you were a, a jerk Marine and a drunk Marine and a fill-in-the-blank Marine bad, that you were a Marine and you were doing what Marines are supposed to do. And because of that, America wants us around. You know what I mean? Like try to sell these Marines like, hey, America needs us, you know. So America wants us around because we're doing the right thing. So how do we apply all this? So I think there's four things that we need to do. Number one, we need to know the gospel. So all of these things that I'm going to talk about, actually three things that we need to do. It's going to go right back to what we've been talking about. Me and Lewis talk about this a lot too. It talks, it's about our heart, right? So our heart, we know it's divided into three chambers. We got head, heart, hand. Okay. So we need to know the gospel. That's the head part. What does that mean? It means that we have to be in the word. We have to study the gospel from the word and we need to understand it and we need to meditate on it and we need to share it with other people. We don't just say, hey, I know what the gospel is. I know that Christ died for sinners, and I know that his blood atoned for my sins and that without him I would go to hell. And then we curl up in our bed with the blanket of salvation and we go to sleep thinking, yay, that's it. Because God is sovereign. He'll take care of the rest. But that's not how the Bible tells us to be with it, right? Part of 
knowing the gospel is knowing how to talk about the gospel. And so how do you do that? You have to read it. You have to know it. You have to study it. You have to meditate on it. You have to, you have to do everything all encompassing. The gospel isn't just a one and done thing, brothers and sisters. It's not just at the point of your salvation. Now the gospel is done. The gospel is the gospel at the point of your salvation. The gospel is truth that we can use in the darkest times of our lives. The gospel is what the people who are unsaved in the world need to hear. The gospel is how Lewis and I approach counseling issues. We say in light of the gospel, how do you respond to confrontation? How do you respond to anxiety? How do you respond to depression? Because if Christ is the foundation of everything that we do, then everything that we do needs to come out of him. And Christ is the gospel. Christ is the good news. What Christ did for all of us sitting in this room, for those of us who believe, who have repented and believed, who have confessed Christ with our mouths, who have believed that Christ raised him, or I'm sorry, that God raised Christ from the dead three days after he died, we know. We know what the good news is. Turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. And this is Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't say some people. It doesn't say who you think might be elect or not. It doesn't say when you feel like it. It says go, you, into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I've been meditating on Psalm 119 uh, this week and, and this since the first. Um, it's been, I, I can't even explain in words how good it's been to do that. And in, in the first stanza, in the first eight verses, I'm, I'm breaking it down eight verses at a time. This is what, this is what he says in Psalm 119 and starting in verse four. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. And then he, he cries out to God and he prays and he says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. And he says, Then I shall not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. So he says, I won't be ashamed when I observe, when I keep, when I obey all of your commandments. Not just be nice to my wife, not just tithe to the church, not just go to church, not just read my Bible, not all those things that we do that are awesome because it's obedience to God. Preaching the gospel, pro- proclaiming the gospel, that's one of them. And so he's saying, when I look at myself in the mirror, which would, would be scriptures, when I look into scriptures and I see that I'm not ashamed, it's because I've kept all your commandments. So that's number one. We have to know the gospel. That's our head. And then we need to have, we need to be able to proclaim the gospel. So it's one thing to know the gospel in our heads and, and just, we know how to, we could, we, if you told me, hey, Robert, what's the gospel? I could repeat it to you, right? You can repeat it to me. 
but we need to be able to proclaim the gospel. And who do we proclaim the gospel to? Well, to everybody that's not lost. Well, where do I start, Robert? How about your family? Moms and dads proclaiming the gospel to your children at a young age. It's okay if they don't understand it fully. Are you doing it? Are you being obedient in that? Proclaiming the gospel to our brothers and sisters, if you have them that aren't saved. Our moms, our dads, our sisters. And then what about the people that we work with? What about the people at this church that come and fill these pews that might not be saved? Brothers and sisters, don't be naive. Everybody that sits in these pews is not saved. We have people come here and sit in these pews who have not been converted. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Do we share the gospel with the people we care about? Do we look at people that we know and do we think to ourselves that individual is lost? I have the cure for spiritual cancer. Should I share it with them or not? The Bible is very clear. Proclaim the gospel. That's what it just said in Mark. Go preach the gospel to every creature. And the third thing that we need to do is we need to live the gospel. That's the hands. The proclaiming is the heart. We will proclaim if we have a heart that desires to share with the lost. If we have a heart for the lost, like Christ had a heart for the lost. So our, our hand, our actions, we need to live the gospel. And so I want to, I want to read Acts chapter two, verse 37 to 47. I know it's a little lengthy, but this is the best passage in my mind, in the Bible, that encapsulates all five of these B's that we're talking about. Be in the Word, be in prayer, be in church, be in accountability, and be in the Gospel, or be sharing the Gospel. Acts chapter 2, 37 to 47. I'm going to break it down and read it as it pertains to each B. So first of all, in verses 37 to 41, we see them be sharing the Gospel. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the day there, and, and sorry, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So they shared the gospel. Repent, believe. It's Jesus Christ. This is how you get salvation. Notice he didn't say, Hey, it has anything to do with, it has anything to do with me. I can save you. Do what I say. Say this prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. All these cliche things that we hear people saying that are garbage. It hurts my soul to hear people say things like that. Oh, just say this prayer and you'll be saved. No. Right there, it says repent and believe. And it says that these promises are for you. And listen to what it says. And keeping in our constant thought that we know that God is sovereign. At the end of verse 39, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's all about God and salvation. It's not about us. We are just be, we're called to be faithful to preach the gospel. Verses 42 to 47, it shows all the rest of these B's. They're being in prayer, being in church, 
being accountability and being in the Word. And this is what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, be it church, right? They're, they're gathering together and they're learning together. And the breaking of bread and in prayers, being in prayer. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that were, and sorry, all that believed together and all and had all things common. So they're being in accountability. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them unto all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brothers and sisters, may we live like that. May we be bold and share the gospel and live the gospel and be examples of the gospel. At the end of Second Peter, I'm sorry, at the end of First Peter 2, verse 9. It's, uh, so it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We share the gospel in our actions. Uh, Caleb talked about that from one of his sermons from Romans 1. We share the gospel in our actions. We share the gospel in how we respond to the things that happen to every human being in this world. And we share the gospel by being obedient and opening our mouths and proclaiming it to those who don't know. So what, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the conclusion here? Here it is. If you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, I want to ask you, why not? I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to plead with you. I'm not going to try to force you. I'm not going to tell you some stupid story about say this prayer and you'll be saved. I'm not going to ask you where you're going, heaven or hell, because I'm not a fire sales insurance salesman. But I'm going to ask you why not? Because I want you to leave this room and I want you to wrestle with it. I want to create heart tension. I want the Holy Spirit to bust your heart wide open and for the pieces of rock to fall off of it so that that heart of stone will be transformed into a heart of flesh. If you're sitting here and you haven't confessed Christ, you cannot save yourself. You will go to hell trying to save yourself. You need a Savior. For those of us who are believers, the charge is to share the gospel. Every one of us in here, if I told you to stand up and just say the first name of a human being that you know that isn't saved, every one of us could do it without a shadow of a doubt. I know we could. We need to share the gospel. So going back to that illustration I gave you with my Marines, when they were going on liberty briefs and we would ask them that question, there was enough, if you were accused of being a Marine, would there be enough evidence to convince you? Well, let me ask you this, church. If you were accused of being a Christian, a God-fearing, Bible-believing, obedient to your God Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Because one of the pieces of evidence that they're going to look for is are you sharing the gospel? We could call the fifth B be turning the world upside down, and I think it would fit just fine. May we be a church that turns the world upside down because we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we are so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ.
We are so grateful for the good news when there was bad news. We are grateful for salvation when we didn't deserve it, Lord, when we couldn't have earned it, when we couldn't do anything to achieve it. We are so thankful for your mercy and your grace that you bestowed upon all of us. We are so grateful that you decided to save us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know the gospel, that we would proclaim the gospel, and that we would live the gospel. Lord, give us opportunities to share the gospel with others. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel to others. And may we be beacons of light that point to your son, Jesus Christ, in a world of darkness that needs a savior. We ask for these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.